Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, I'm talking with Philip Pauster, founder and CEO of Thermondo, which is Germany's largest fully vertically integrated heating solutions company. Philip first appeared on Talking New Energy over three years ago, back in season two, talking about how Thermondo had developed an end-to-end heating installation business, uh, which ranges from an online go-to-market strategy through to a network of heating engineers across the country. And I'm really looking forward to exploring how Thermondo has grown over the last three years, Philip's reflections on that, and Philip's thoughts on the future, particularly around the energy crisis that we're currently in at the moment. So, hello, Philip. Welcome back. It's great to be back. Thank you very much. Um, So, Philip, three things I'd like to talk about today. Um, First thing, I think we have to talk about the energy crisis. um, And from your business in Germany, what you're seeing from customers and how you're responding as a company to that. Secondly, I think it's about 10 years since you founded the Mondo. Is that right? Yeah, we started working on it 10 years ago. We launched nine years ago. Yeah, so nine, nine, 10 years. Looking back, what are the top three lessons you've learned over that time? And hopefully that'll be interesting for our listeners, whatever part of the energy sector they're working in. And then thirdly, I'm interested to talk about energy as a service from you. The idea of financing high cost high efficiency products in customers homes and whether this is really a a key to the energy transition at least the downstream part of the transition so um let's start with the energy crisis then your top three lessons and then energy as a service so on the energy crisis can you give our listeners a feel for what it's like working in the german heating sector at the moment what are you hearing from customers? How are you adapting and uh, taking your business forward? Well, first of all, with that you know tragic and sad event of a war kind of in the middle of Europe, having started on February twenty four, there's obviously so much yeah like negative and and, and dramatic about it. Um, for for our market, though, it it really means that it accelerated. Um, as you know, Germany is heavily dependent on Russian gas imports, and it was heavily dependent on Russian gas imports. And um, unfortunately, in in spring 2021, we decided to launch the heat pump, and we started working on that project um, pretty much right right that uh, in that at uh, that point of time. And um, and we were in the midst of piloting. You know, we ran lots of pilot or, um, um, installations, obviously working on our software, working on our processes. Um, the end of last year, the beginning of this year, and. And then the war started, and then we very quickly took a decision, revisited if you wanted, and said, well, we stick to our launch date. That was June, you know, wanted to launch in June 2022. But we'll be launching more regions faster. We are organized in 10 regions in Germany. Um, and and the, the, the first idea was to keep it to like three to four regions in the beginning. What is that? So you, like, could learn, you could learn as absolutely. you went? Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, it bears a bit of a risk, right? If you If you... Come with a new product that we might be talking about that later. That has you know a range of different activities involved from in all, in all angles. But then we kind of felt very strongly about contributing also. You know, um, 
the um, obviously price for gas went up but there was increasing number of people in germany that also want to contribute uh, by reducing the gas dependency of germany and that's why we then launched really all uh, 10 regions on that same day in june and and the and the demand we're experiencing since then is just you know on a, at a very different level of anything we've ever experienced in in you know two nine years um, just to give you one number um, it's an easy one. Um, Google traffic, so all the keywords around the heat pump uh, in, in the German internet, uh, are up by 3 to 7x. There were certain weeks it was up by 10x versus the previous year. So I think it shows you that there's just a huge number of people that are looking for answers. Um, and it's lots of media attention in Germany um, because it's, it's an increasing number of people that understand that this is a very important building block for both the decarbonization but also reducing energy dependence. So, so I can understand the I can understand households' desire to reduce their running costs to minimize dependence on on gas imported gas. Mm-hmm. Is that interest translating into sales? Because I think it's quite easy to be interested, but then to take the step of actually signing up to something is is quite something else. So, how are you finding that translation of interest to orders? Well, that's exactly our job, by the way, right? So uh, to gather that interest and then walk people, guide them through our funnel. And, you know, some of that funnel is, is, is online. You, um, that has not changed. We are receiving, getting data points from our customers. And that helps us to understand whether the home is, is, is technically eligible for a um, heat pump. And then we always have a pre-sales call where we go a little bit deeper. And then we filter out some more people for, you know, a range of reasons, often because it's simply doesn't work for them. Um, and also, of course, you know, touching on price for first time. And then thirdly, you know, uh, we have our sales visit of our sales agents to the homes because we need to collect quite a bit of data. Um, as you know, um, an air source heat pump has an outer unit. So there's um, regulation around distances to the neighbors uh, for noise emission reasons. So there's yeah. a range of new activities that we have to learn and go through with our customers and prospects. But I can tell you that uh, we have sold um, 1,200 heat pumps in the first um, eight, 10, 10 weeks or nine weeks after the launch. And that is a lot more than what we had forecasted and budgeted. And how does that compare? Are you able to say how that compares to the boilers that you're selling? Is that, do you think you'd be selling more heat pumps and boilers at some time? No, right now at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a speed of selling like 900 to 1,000 units a month. Um, and and so if over 10 weeks and, and keep in mind, you know, there's a certain certain um, 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 appointment to order lead yeah. time, right? So yeah. people, you know, consider and and that is usually four to six weeks uh, on average. So um, that, that gives you an idea of how quickly that bit of our business has ramped up in terms of uh, share force. Yeah. And you talked a bit about what you've learned through your pilots the idea mm. that you're going to launch in a few regions, but then you've launched in, in all regions. How how hard has that learning been for you? And have what what have you had? To, what are the key things you've had to change or understand or or get used to and adapt to on the way? Well, there are activities that just make a heat pump installation more complex than a boiler installation. Uh, namely, that is, you have to set or lay a foundation for the outer unit. Um, there are certain technical specs attached to that, you know, certain requirements. Um, and that literally means you have to dig holes in people's front yards or backyards. And you've and, not done that uh, with, a, you don't do that with boilers. Yeah, Absolutely not. Yeah. So that was entirely yeah. new to us and, and, and we're still learning. 
And secondly, you have to involve a, a second certified trade, and that is the electrician. Uh, only electricians can work with the gas a power grid, similar to um, SHP specialists, um, tradesmen, uh, that are the only guys being able to allow with the to work with the gas grid. So you have now two certified trades um, involved, and um, and that needs to be orchestrated, right? Especially if you want to do thousands and thousands of installations per month. Um, so there's a lot of stuff we are learning um, and optimizing. And of course, at the beginning, the the operation excellence or efficiency is not the same than what it would be will be in a couple of months' time. But at the same time, there's also some reduced complexity. We don't have to deal with a chimney sweeper anymore. You know, that's also yeah. partly regulated in Germany. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the chimney sweepers over the past years have not necessarily been our best friends, right? Because and they're certainly not the best friends of the heat pump because uh, over time that means that. Um, yeah, their, their work is not needed anymore. And, uh, you know, issues with the chimney have been on the top or near the top of our post-installation issue list. So that's, for instance, called okay. the stolen away. Yeah. Um, okay, so some challenges, some things to learn, but some things that are simpler. Uh, what about in the heating industry, if you talk to someone who, who lives and breathes boilers, they will say, oh, these homes aren't suitable for a heat pump. And if you talk to heat pump people, they'll say, oh, heat pumps can work in most homes. So how are you finding that? You're, you're neutral. Uh, you just care about the customer and getting them the right solution. What are you learning about in terms of the range of homes that you are installing or can install heat pumps in? Well, we are not entirely neutral, right? Keep in mind, we have a purpose that is together for climate neutral living. And um, yeah. and we haven't been really been able to live up to that entirely just because the market wasn't there. Um, but yeah. when we launched the company, that was from day one what we wanted to do um, for many years. It was more about efficiency. So reducing probably CO2 emissions by 30, 40, maybe 55% when we talk solar thermal. So, so we're not entirely neutral because we're all very excited and passionate about the, the fact that we can now fully live up to that um, purpose. Um, uh, but uh, I think that's that's almost the most important question that you're asking here. Um, uh, this means that a huge industry is going through tremendous change, and it's not very different to combustion engines, to e-vehicles, that kind of change. Uh, it touches on all aspects of the value chain, um, from obviously manufacturing to um, then installation, subsidy provision, to everything. Yeah. And, and I'd say, fortunately, in our market, for us, many of the incumbents are simply of uh, greater age, right? So they are maybe at the, at the end of their entrepreneurial career, uh, and, and they're very careful about whether they are going to invest time into the change management, uh, because it does mean, like I said earlier, that you have to train your entire workforce, you have to invest, that means you're not doing uh, revenue those days, um, yeah. and, 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 and I think... That, that, of course, for us is a tremendous opportunity. We do have the resources and certainly the mindset to change. Um, um, and um, it, is, uh, it is a special time in that sense and one that, you know, we're really uh, enjoying with all the hard work that's invo involved. So you, are you finding most customers that want a heat pump and are willing to pay for it or rent one from you can actually, uh, you can find a way to make that work? Or are you finding yeah, a large I mean, number of the customers where the home for whatever reason, it's it, it won't be as suitable for a heat pump. 
Yeah, so so if you check Germany, we have 16 million one and two family homes. Um, yeah. um, there's quite a bit of data actually available about energy standards and efficiency uh, rates. Germany and, and post that um, oil crisis in the 70s actually launched an energy efficiency um, act that really um, ensured that you know from that point onwards, you know, buildings were built at a certain um, quality and, and for, within for the first time ever with an energy efficiency point of view in mind. And plus, uh, as you know, Germany um, was heavily destroyed during World War II. So the overall building stock in Germany is rather young compared to the UK, compared to France, compared to some other yeah. countries. So, um, and, and although that is the case, you do you would find uh, you know tons of um, journalists and and probably also lobbyists um, that would argue you know we can't get to relevant numbers uh, in, in the heat pump space. And that's simply not true, right? So 40 to 50% of homes are eligible today for the heat pump when it comes to energy efficiency. Um, and then there's another bracket where you just need some minimal invasive um, uh, changes, like, you know, you might be able to, you might have to change a couple of radiators yep. to just to expand the um, the uh, heat load that can be provided to rooms. So um, our Federal Minister of Economic Affairs and Climate Protection, Robert Habeck, um, very early on, and that was, by the way, pre the war started, he went to the press and said, I want 6 million heat pumps by 2030. Um, and that was obviously based on the, some work some uh, think tanks had, had done. And um, and that means very quickly this country needs to get to like five, six, seven hundred thousand units a year. Yeah. And Germany installed 154,000 last year. Probably this year we're going to come in at like close to 200,000. So there's still a lot of um, uh, room to grow um, and we kind of have to grow. So um, we think it's doable. We're certainly going to contribute and we certainly have the ambition to be that market leader in that, in that yeah. segment. Yeah, great opportunity for the Mondo to, Absolutely. Uh, to help reach that goal. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to the, the second question now. So uh, I was speaking in the last episode to Sandra Tritton from Tico. Mm-hmm. And oh, well, yeah. great, uh, great, so, great person. I remember when I first uh, learned about Tico, started talking to Sandra, looking at what they were doing, and I said to Sandra on the podcast, I thought at that time, wow, this is this is a vision of what I think the future will look like. Uh, here's a company who is right on the leading edge of creating the type of or part of the energy system that we're moving to. And when I first came across you and the Mondo, I, I thought the same thing. I thought, uh, this is really revolutionizing. It's bringing the heating industry from a analog, uh, I'm exaggerating here, 20th century uh, industry to a 21st century uh, business. So I was so excited by what you what you were doing. And you've been going nine, nine years now, 10 years since the idea. I'm really interested in what you, you've learned on that journey. So mm-hmm. uh, if you look back, what are the what are the three biggest things you've learned as you've tried to digitalize and bring a quite a new, different customer experience to uh, modernizing heating systems? So th- that's a tough one because three, and uh, probably my list of learnings is like two hundred, uh, and yeah. uh, and uh, and probably most founders would tell you that you know you learn every day, you learn every year. 
you know, stop that. Because you also, <laughs> yeah, because you also elaborated on our history. You know, we, now we're nine years old, and 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 I always look at our journey as being split in three parts. So we had the first three, three and a half years where we really were so new to the market and were the first ones daring what we what we did, daring to do what we did, and and really being the first ones that you know um, looked for answers and software in 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 this part of our economy. Um, and what we do is take a super complex service that has its production um, location that has a super homogeneous uh, heterogeneous production location but we don't produce obviously in a factory we, we produce in people's homes so there's by nature much more risk involved certainly when you think about the fact that we are touching on at times more than 100 year old hydraulic systems right uh, you know without radiators so so it's it's so important to collect the right data to be sure about that data to do proper planning to put that in the algorithm and and we did all that and and although there's so much complexity involved we were the first ones to really come up with a fixed price offer so we until today we don't do cost estimates it's always fixed prices because we from day one said uh, it is our responsibility to collect data and uh, and to be correct and and in the end assume that risk whether we are correct or not so so the first three years were really those hyper growth super duper innovation years um, mm. um really pushing the boundaries trying really to understand. winning yeah. winning all kinds of awards we were the fastest growing company in germany got award and an award for that um also uh, those financial times rankings back then very near the top in europe and then the following three years were the, were the tough years right um, uh, like i said i think we were a little bit too early um, um we had to reach a certain size in which you you know just have to also need a different kind of leadership, right? And, and there's only two options. You you um, develop yourself as a leader because the company just got so much bigger um, and, and um, you, you add certain skill sets to your toolbox, like obviously a much stronger cost control. Um, um, and so those three years, they were, they were the tough ones. And then basically as of late 19, we really cracked the code again at that new size um, and, and growth came back. And ever since then, early 2020, um, and then, of course, COVID hit, and, and, and that um, different and challenge. Do a lot of yeah. work, sure, yeah. but it, it, it didn't really hurt our, our 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 growth a lot. I mean, obviously, had much higher rate of people being sick, and, and so much leadership being needed in that um, period. Um, but um, the demand was there, and um, and basically, ever since then, we're growing at like fifty to seventy percent year on year, um, depending on the quarter you look at, um, and um, so just on the journey and now you're asking those three top learnings i mean i think the first one really is timing right and that is probably that element of luck that you might well, have a mix of luck and judgment maybe a mix of uh, you're right you're right yeah, yeah right it's yeah. not only luck it's it's, it's yeah. both right and so um um and you know the, once the market was there it, it, the game got just so much easier for us yeah um, and, and then those years earlier we just had to you know, if the market only grows two, three percent, it's quite difficult to grow 50, 60, 70 percent, right? Yeah. Um, the second one is really, you know, and it's probably it's twofold. It's both uh, talent related. You know, start the company with a diverse team. Uh, probably we were not diverse enough as a founding team. Um, and, and that team should have the stamina to do this for a very long time, right? Um, often founders yeah. think, you know, it's more of a sprint, but few companies are built in sprints. Most companies are built in probably hundreds of sprints, and that's why it's demanding, or a, a very long marathon. 
Um, I just think of those stages you talked about, those first three, three and a half years, super exciting because you're pushing the boundaries, mm-hmm. you're doing new things. Mm-hmm. You're, mm-hmm. Uh, but the middle three years, those tough years, maybe a bit less exciting for it's challenging in a different way uh i imagine it's so getting through having the mindset to get through those tough years where it's not about doing really exciting brand new things but making processes work about making a machine work yeah it's about grinding it out right so those years were really about grinding it out i mean you might know i I used to play basketball and and, you know basketball is a game where everybody plays offense and everybody plays defense because it's so fast the game Mm. and and if you want the first three years were all about playing offense yeah. And those middle three years were all about playing defense. And, yeah. and then there's some players that just don't enjoy defense. And, yeah. uh, but if you want to be a great player, you got to play both. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let's um, around that. Diverse team and stamina in the team. Yeah. Diversity and stamina. And then, then it's kind of the second bit of that is really recruit like your life depends on it. Because it does. Um, until today, I'm pretty deeply involved in recruiting processes, um, uh, not only obviously my direct reports, but also um, other people. And, and whenever I, I, I stop doing that, I, I, I feel like we don't always get the right talent um, and that is very costly. Um, so obviously a company that is growing a lot and innovating a lot relies on being able to recruit the best talent. Um, so it, that's really critical, right? And then the third one um, is, I guess, finding the right balance between being stubborn and open. If you are the first one doing something, and certainly in, an, in, an, you know, in, in a country that is not necessarily embracing change um, culturally, then it'll, it's just part of your everyday life that people say, this is not going to work, or what's yeah. so complex about that? Why is not like the large utility doing this? And uh, what's so special about that? And you will never be successful. Um, so that's the stubborn bit. Um, um, and at the same time, you've got to be very open because as a, as a founder, if you want to run your business for a very long time, you have to be a very good learner. And that, you yeah. know, there's humility being involved and, and um, obviously a very different skill set sticking to our journey that needed for the first three years than for the middle three years. Um, and now it is very much also about being a proper CEO that runs a decently sized company um, and that involves much more, let's say, um, many more organizational matters and quite a bit of more discipline to, to run that uh, and or building a team that is very good at that, that allows you then to still be more that visionary kind of guy that is needed for any company. I remember, Philip, we've both talked about the book Good to Great, um, mm-hmm. which I... One I of my top cover, three. Yeah, I've read cover to cover and I revisit it regularly. So in the journey of, mm-hmm. of Delta EE and our growth, it's been not quite on my bedside table, but not that far away from it for mm-hmm. for that journey. And I know, you, as you say, it's, it's one of your top three books. And there's one bit in there that, uh, talks about not ignoring the truth and the numbers. And it's that balance between having that vision and being able to work through the tough times and having yeah. that belief in what you're doing. And yet that balance of not ignoring what the market's telling you and what the numbers are telling you. Yeah. And, and it, it, is, it, it never stops, right? So, uh, I mean, today we're, we were discussing the level of detail of our, in our um, weekly man- or bi-weekly management meetings. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer that we should have quite a detailed level of detail and, and really look at 
rather more KPIs than less. And, 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 and that does not mean that we should not be talking about culture and the soft factors and vision and, and, and togetherness and collaboration. And, and that just shows how demanding that repertoire is that you need at one point, right? So yeah. I think if you want to lead, and there really make a difference between a growth company and a corporate, right? If you want to lead a growth company also as, as a member of the management team, You've got to be a growth executive and growth executives what's so demanding about being one is quite a high degree of discipline already quite a high degree of professionalism while still being able to be tactical at times yeah. while still being able to creative uh, to be creative while still being willing to take decisions fast um, um, and and also change your priority uh, priorities rather quickly if needed right and and finding that balance um, between not being too tactical but still tactical enough and and sticking to the plan is is what makes the states demanding are you enjoying it as much now as you ever have or more than you ever have yeah i mean there, there, there are days where when i'm asking myself well you know this is i'm, I'm, I'm just an ordinary ceo if you, if you take this right but um, my, my everyday um, life is not too different to let's say somebody who maybe would be hired to run this company um, and um, and of course I'm um, looking. I mean I'm I'm not always getting the chance to really work around my strength, and and uh, but that's also then part. In the end, it's my responsibility. It's it's my responsibility to build a team that allows me and frees time um, to 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 get go back to my some of my strength. And 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 interestingly, the team needs that too, right? Because if I don't yeah. inspire. It's unlikely that anybody else really inspires, right? So um, it is it is part of the responsibility of the CEO to to do that, right? But it's it's a it's a it's and she, I was you know when you meet other founders, we have dinner. It's I always call it our therapy classes or therapy <laughs> uh, meetings. Um, it is uh, it is it is and, and there's another book on my top three is. Um, hard things about hard things, you know, um, the the life of a startup CEO. And oh, I don't know that one. Oh, is, that's is demanding. I, I think it's a brilliant book. It really shows that journey and it shows um, how some decisions are difficult and that you have to be good at, at quite a lot of things. And, and if you aren't, then you have to learn them quite like it, right? Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite books, Philip, is on my top three, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what I love about that is you put the vision, the mission, the purpose Absolutely. of what you're doing at the heart of everything. And yeah, he's, he's probably one of the most influential, impactful guys we have right now. Um, yeah. um, also there, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm preparing for a speech next week. I'm giving it in front of a pretty large audience. And, and yeah, just using his um, why, uh, uh, Why, how, how what. what. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's a very simple structure, and, and yet uh, one tends not to use it. Uh, yeah. And then you've got yeah. to go back to it. Yeah. Uh, well, we could talk a lot more about leadership and growing a company in the different stages, but let's get on to the third question I had, uh, which was around the phrase energy as a service. It's used really widely, but in my mind, in the energy transition, we're going to see a lot more high efficiency but high cost products in customers homes be that solar pv and battery be it a heat pump uh be it a vehicle to grid uh ev charger whatever and i don't believe that every customer is going to pay for that or finance it themselves so the model where a company like the mondo 
finances, leases, rents, whatever, uh, a heat pump, for example, to customers. And customers can get the benefits of that without paying the capital cost up front. For me, it's going to be a huge part of what we'll need to succeed in the energy transition. I'm interested in your thoughts on that because you've you've done both. You sell products as a capital item and you sell rent products as a rental model or finance model. So very interested in what you've learned about that and how critical you see that in the German market where you are to uh, this part of the energy transition. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, we are, of course, strong believers in that product, right? So we have... We have just believe this is all about inclusion. Um, we feel that everybody or a lot of people have the right to live a carbon neutral life, um, disregarding their liquidity. Obviously, you need some solvency, but um, disregarding the liquidity. We feel that, especially now with, with what's coming up now and looking at the recession that is about to happen or is already happening, and I believe it's going to be around for quite some time. Um, um, and at the same time, this economy, any economy, European economy, has to decarbonize. And, you know, it, it, this is about the millions of homes, too, not only, but too. Um, it is a critical or pivotal product to, to, for, for this, for this uh, transformation. Um, what we see is that there's probably three customer groups. Um, the first one is obviously a cost-oriented customer that um, might not have the cash or um, looks at it rather rationally. And, and of course, here, um, uh, commodity pricing really helps us. You know, there's a very simple f- um, rule of three. Yep. Yeah, if, 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 if power is um, less than three times more expensive than gas, then in very simple terms, it does make sense to economic sense to switch from gas to, to a heat pump. And of course, we do have that right now. Gas prices pushing uh, 20, 21, 22 cents in Germany, while power is at 35, 37, 38, 40 cents. Um, so that's customer number one. Customer number two is really that no hassle, one-stop shop customer. My life is busy. Um, and there are so many more important things in life than worrying about my heating system. Just get it in. Of course, I want it to be you know, carbon neutral or um, green. Um, but most importantly, I'm a busy person. Uh, make, give me make a contract. Yeah, make it easy for me, yep. right? Yeah. And the third customer, and those two, we've always had, right? We have had that also in the boiler segment. Um, uh, and the third customer is really new, and that's due to that war. That is, I want to contribute to reduce Germans' dependency, Germany's dependency on Russian gas. Um, yeah. And and probably there, that's twofold. It's really on that society. Uh, layer i want to you know contribute to society but it's also i want to switch off that noise that i have in my uh, mind right on my mind um, you know it's constantly in the media um, and the moment you are connected to you heat your home with with a heat pump you know you can literally if you want at least ignore that bit of the media and, they want to feel uh, good about it yeah and you feel good about it too yeah. right and yeah. and it's it's i mean germany simply does have to reduce its gas consumption um, and um, and for, I think it's forty percent of all gas in Germany is consumed by German house, households to heat their home. So energy as a service, then fitting into those three customer types, mm-hmm. um, what have you 
do you think the market is delivering what those customer types need? Be that Thermondo, be it Sonnen, be it you know whatever cat product category. How has the market developed the right propositions yet for these customers when it comes to energy as a service? Well, I think a very important step for us was, and keep in mind, we were probably the first ones to make boilers bankable. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I when I pitched to a Swiss investor in, I believe it was 2014, you know, after like 10 minutes or 20 minutes into the pitch, he said, oh, that's interesting. You're basically creating a new bankable product, right? So you're creating a new product for the capital markets. Um, and And then he said, and you're going to be successful because... Germans lease their beloved car. So the leasing rate in Germany is 70%, right, Uh, for cars. So what we learned over those years was that, of course, this was new. And, of course, we probably sold a lot to early adopters um, or the, uh, you know, trendsetters even. Um, But the the, the more logical or rational that product gets and the more it just simply makes sense, the easier, of course, it is to sell. And again, that's where commodity prices kick in. Um, uh, If if, uh, gas is getting so expensive, then it simply does make economic sense to do this, right? Uh, Certainly going, I mean, at least going forward for heat pump. So... uh, and going back to your question, is that the right proposition? Right, if if the if the if you're if you're spending five thousand euros on gas per year versus two and a half thousand euros on power for your heat pump, then that's basically two hundred euros a month you're saving if you go. And then basically that heat pump's got to cost no more than two hundred euros per month, and that's yep. pretty much where we are. Yeah. Um, so it's it's bit it's almost like a no regret product. So the core question really is: Is your home eligible? Can we do it for your home? And that goes down to how large is the home, what's the insulation levels, and so on. But yeah. if your home is equipped for this, eligible for this, it's pretty much a no brainer. Um, people I've talked to a lot of people in the heating industry about this type of product, and you hear, you know, a lot of people will come up with objections like, oh, well, what if the customer stops paying? Or, mm-hmm. oh, you need the customer to sign up to a long contract. Mm-hmm. Um, or apportionment of risk, for example. So it is, I agree with you, it's an overrate product um, in in many ways. But have you found ways through all these, or do you think the industry is finding ways quickly enough through these sorts of rejections that people might come up with? Well, the way we look at it is we are assuming full responsibility for the hardware and it is our job to make people understand how much what, what that means, right? So by definition, pretty much all of our customers take a concept decision for the next 15 to 20 years. And this is, by the way, very different to buying a car or leasing a car. That's usually like a three-year decision. Yeah. So yeah. you're taking a concept decision for the next 15 and 20 years and why we don't give guidance on commodity price development for those 15 to 20 years most people understand that it's rather likely that gas is going to get more expensive while you know there are certain ways to at least control power or even bring power prices yeah. down um, um, most people understand that gas is co2 intense while power can be will be rather co2 let's say um well, it poor would be declining or towards, yeah yeah. Exactly, right? And then yeah. th- that's exactly where the 15-20 year decision comes in, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, the German power mix today is rather dirty, yeah. um, but given another five, six, seven years, it might look already very differently, and then yeah. you're still only at the halftime of the tenure of your of your, of your your heat pump. Yeah. Um, so 
I think it really comes down to explaining that product to people. Um, uh, but I don't expect incumbents to be as good as that as uh, as we are, right? I mean, yeah, it's a communication. It's a marketing and communication challenge as much as anything. And and also keep in mind, I mean, we are we are transforming our business from from a, a the product categories we use is conventional, so that's our fossil boilers and hybrid, so that's gas plus um, solar thermal. Um, yeah. um, from from that mix until late May to probably close to one hundred percent heat pump within nine months. That's right? quite some transition. And, yeah. And, and exactly, and that requires, you know, strong set of values. It requires beliefs. It requires being gutsy, and um, um, links back to that leadership question we're talking and, about, Philip. And, and, and incumbents at times take different decisions, right? Yeah. Because they yeah. they they have a different yeah. legacy. Yeah. Um, Philip, time's getting the better of us, so. Let's move on to the last thing for the podcast, which is the Talking New Energy Crystal Ball. And uh, I want to ask you where you think the Mondo will be in 2030. So putting the crystal ball setting to 2030. Um, in a nutshell, winding forward to 2030, give me a, an elevator pitch for the Mondo <laughs> in eight years' time. Well, we're much closer to 2030 than the last time we talked, so this is getting a bit easier. Uh, <laughs> so, so, well, in, in 2030, we'll be a multinational player. We will for sure go international um, at one point in time. And we'll be a one-stop shop for climate-neutral living, offering heat pumps, PV battery, possibly power tariffs. Yeah. We kind of have different views on that. We, we're, you know, we still about to understand that. Um, of course, we want to own the gate, data gateway to the customer and, and own the relationship. Yeah. Um, and the idea is, of course, to put all of that into one contract of, let's just say, 400 euros a month. Right? We feel very strong about that. It's very much about simplifying for customers, about reducing complexity. And... We also feel strong about the vertical integration that we've always been having and have been executing. Yeah. And now it's all about being able to do that for the other products too. We feel also confident about the fact that we go from hard to easy. Um, we argue, and probably most people would agree on that in, in, in our industry, that the heat space from a planning and construction point of view is quite a bit more complex and demanding than PV and battery, just because you touch on so, so much more legacy equipment. Yeah. So we have uh, quite a bit of confidence that we'll be able to, you know, put all that together. And now um, I'm going to ask you for your, your biggest single challenge to achieving that, which I know is a, an unfair question. <laughs> but if there's one thing well, that you think you have to, of all our challenges, this is the thing we'll have to nail or get right. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the biggest challenge is, of course, to manage all of that growth. Um, and... Our markets are large, right? So 150,000 heat pumps last year in Germany, that's probably on an on a, on a end consumer layer, it's probably like 4 billion euros. And if the market is really going to get up to five, 600,000 in just two years' time, we're talking about a 20 million, billion euro market, right? So growing from 4 to 20 billion in three, three four years' time, that's extreme growth. We are well positioned to uh, obviously outperform that market. We have always done. Um, and and so it, that segment is going to go from large to humongous, 
and you've got to scale it. And that's <laughs> and the scaling scale. and the growth. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 that we are, we we have a very operational mindset at Tamondo. Um, it keeps us humble and keeps us on our toes. But that's that is and will always be our number yeah. one challenge. Yeah. Well, you've shown um, your your tenacity. You've shown your leadership through the the three phases you talked about, Philip. Uh, and well, I wish you all the luck. I don't know if you need luck uh, and success to always good. That. It's always <laughs> good. I don't mind <laughs> <laughs> to achieve that in twenty thirty by twenty thirty. Um, we'll wrap it up there. So thanks so much for your your time, your openness. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, it was great being here again, John. Thank you very much. Yeah. And thanks as always to everyone listening. We hope you uh, enjoyed hearing about Philip's experiences, the modest growth, the discussion we had, and it's given you ideas and inspiration to take back to your role, whatever it is in the energy transition. So thanks for listening and look forward to welcoming you back to next week's episode. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.